Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, sponsored by Amazon. Today is Wednesday, March 3rd. President Biden moved up the date of widespread vaccine availability. Google is taking down cookies, and we're focused on the democratization of Wall Street. The biggest business story so far of 2021 has been GameStop, with one House hearing in the books and a Senate one on the horizon. But the reason this has resonated so loudly isn't so much because people care about the stock of a video game retailer or even Reddit message boards or the decision of a trading app. Instead, it's about how all of those threads are woven into a deeper narrative about the democratization of investing. Remember, it wasn't too long ago when folks were wringing their hands about how millennials in particular weren't investing much in stocks, arguably due to some PTSD from the 2008 financial crisis. Now, though, we're hearing an opposite concern, that too many young people are investing in stocks, or perhaps that too many are investing in stocks without fully appreciating the risks, you know, that what goes up usually goes down, at least for a little bit. So today we want to discuss this issue of stock market democratization with Lauren Simmons, who at 22 years old became the youngest ever woman trader on the New York Stock Exchange, and who's now hosting a web series called Going Public, which aims to help educate investors while following five startup companies trying to IPO. That conversation in 15 seconds. We're joined now by Lauren Simmons, host of Going Public and the youngest ever woman trader on the New York Stock Exchange. Lauren, over the past couple months, there has been a lot of talk about stock market democratization from the GameStop Robin Hood saga. What has the last month, do you think, told all of us about who's actually in the stock market and if it's really been democratized? I think what has told us that there is an absolute eagerness, earnest for these retail novice investors and they want to have a seat at the table. And I commend them wholeheartedly for all the actions that they are doing pushing forward. However, I am a strong believer in financial literacy and education. And I think we are definitely seeing a disconnect between this movement and, and power to these new retail investors versus the financial fundamentals and the education that is backing it. I think that there is a lot of speculation that is happening in the market and we're seeing it through different platforms such as the GameStop phenomenon and and SPACs and even crypto, which can be for it, but I think we're, we're not fully there. And I think because there's so much speculation and there's so much fear that is tied into all of these movements, there definitely needs to be more education that is put forth so people understand why it, why it is that they're getting so, for lack, lack of better words, hyped and frenzied over everything that's going on in the market. Whose job is that from your perspective? Is it the job of the apps, you know, the Robin Hoods, et cetera, where people are trading? Is it the jobs of kind of cable business networks? Is it the job of schools? Whose job is it to educate investors? All of us. But I do think that if you are a platform such as Robinhood, and I've spoken very openly about them, and you are marketing to that younger millennial Gen Z demographic, 
you have a social responsibility. You you say that Robinhood is all about democratizing retail investors and, and giving them a seat at the table, but you're not giving them the tools and the resources to make the best decisions. Then there's an absolute disconnect. I mean, we, we can go on a whole saga about Robinhood, right? And the practices that they're doing. But I think collectively, it should be school. Financial literacy isn't being taught in school. It should be CNBC. It should be Bloomberg. It should be voices out there. And until we can all get on the same playing field, like we realize that novice investors aren't dumb. They can absolutely do this, but they do need the education to back them and support them. Lauren, when you talk to investors, uh, younger investors particularly, how do you explain if they ask the incredible disconnect right now between Wall Street and Main Street? In other words, we've had a pandemic for the past year, which has ravaged huge parts of the economy. We still have very high unemployment, et cetera. But outside of last March, essentially, stock markets and almost every stock has just been going up and to the right consistently. Yeah. How do I explain that? I explain that um, we have a great government <laughs> in the sense that they are providing a lot of liquidity, a lot of support so that the market doesn't crash. And I think we're going to see long term effects of that in the future. And I do see people getting excited. But, you know, I tell them. There are dips that have happened. We obviously had the March dip. We're going to continue to have dips in 2021. Invest if you can, but everybody's not in a position to invest. And I think back to the speculation and this fear, people are putting debt into the market versus being financially stable to actually put their extra money into the market. All of this speculation is being fueled by debt. Before the pandemic, one in three Americans didn't have enough money to cover an emergency fund. Now, I can't even say post-pandemic, so mid-pandemic, all of a sudden we have all of these Americans that can financially be able to put money into the market. There is absolutely a disconnect there. Unemployment is at its highest. I mean, I, I could go on and on. Lauren, you know, you've talked a lot and given a bunch of interviews uh, about how Wall Street should change, particularly in terms of diversity and inclusion. Can you apply that also to kind of the retail investor, particularly the Gen Z retail investor community? Do you believe there is a call it demographically representative group investing or do you think it's skewed? I think at this point, again, I think everybody has created a seat at the table. I do think that we are seeing minorities, we are seeing women, especially that are investing more than ever. But back to what we were just last speaking on, I don't think everybody is in a position to invest. And until we can make sure that people have the power and the tools and resources to have the financial health to be able to invest, they they shouldn't be investing. And I appreciate it. I, I'll keep saying it. I commend them. But just because you're investing doesn't mean that you're ready to be investing. Lauren, you're hosting the show on entrepreneur.com called Going Public, where you follow the journey of several small companies that are seeking to IPO. The show just announced the first company. It's a skincare one called Proven. Do you have any concern that by doing this show, you're kind of fueling some of the speculation over IPOs, the go public, get in, get in, get in? Absolutely not. I mean, we know that IPOs are a lucrative, lucrative investment to be part of, obviously. But I think me as the host, I am all about empowering and educating the next generation. So while we get to follow the story of five incredible founders, such as um, Proven 
and Ming and Amy, I really get to to do this narrative where I get to show people the roadshow. I get to take them on the due diligence process and they along the way can make the best tools and resources with all the information handed to them, all the financial fundamentals so that they can be able to definitively say, I want to invest in this company because of Y, because of X. And I think what is happening with everything that's going on again in the market is that people are getting really excited over Tesla and AMD and GameStop, but they're not even sure why they're getting excited over these stocks. Explain just quickly why your show chose Proven to be the first company. We chose Proven because they are, we want to make sure that we are representing or having companies that are on the show that represent America. And America is a melting pot. And Ming and Amy are female founders. They're immigrants. They're from an underrepresented group and they're amazingly talented. Um, they were also on Shark Tank and they were rejected. And I think we always love seeing a success story when people quote unquote fell. But these are women who, you know, have been part of the Silicon Valley. Um, and they, they're just absolutely incredible people and, and all the incredible companies that we will have along the way, will have incredible, um, storytelling of their companies as well. So I'm, I'm really excited for who we have along the way. Lauren Simmons, host of going public, which we will be watching on entrepreneur.com. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is Google which announced it'll stop selling ads based on our browsing histories. For example, I recently bought a gift basket full of pastries for somebody and then ads for that bakery started following me everywhere on the web. And then I started getting weight loss ads, which I think are connected to the fact that it thought I kept searching for pastries. Anyway, this move comes amidst increased scrutiny over how big tech uses consumer data. And because this is Google, it's almost certain that others will follow its lead. Four things to know. First, Google's announcement means it will stop using and investing in third-party cookies, the sort of tracking tech that helps advertisers follow you around the web. Two, Google accounted for a majority of all global digital ad spend last year. So to call it the market's 800-pound gorilla is an understatement. Three, this is a phase-out, not Google going cold turkey, expected to really go into effect within the next year. Four, some ad tech companies had been worried about Google doing this both because of regulation and consumer discomfort with cookies. So they'd already been developing workarounds. Google says it's committed to avoiding such workarounds though, which sets up a very interesting battle going forward. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national mulled wine day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Axios Recap.